Today's reading is from Song of Songs, chapter 2, verse 1 through 7. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand and a steward will bring one to you. I am a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valleys. Like a lily among thorns is my darling among the young women. Like an apple tree among the trees of the forest is my beloved among the young men. I delight to sit in his shade, and his fruit is sweet to taste. Let him lead me to the banquet hall, and let his banner over me be love. Strengthen me with raisins, refresh me with apples, for I am faint with love. His left arm is under my head, and his right arm embraces me. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and by the does of the field, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. Thank you so much, Harriet, and Stephanie for reading. My name is Morris, I'm going to talk us through uh, that bit of the Bible we've just had read for a few minutes. Let's pray before we look at that together. Thank you, Heavenly Father for this book that speaks of the way that you have made us in your image, as we've been hearing, and the way that our relationships represent and display the glory of your love. And we pray you grant us understanding of that today. We pray you would warm our hearts to the truth about Jesus that we see here. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you may uh, not have been here in the last couple of weeks or uh, been out helping with kids or something. Let me just remind you, this book, Song of Songs, is called Song of Songs because it's like the best song of all the songs. That's why it's called that. And it's called that because it is the best love story of all the love stories. Remember where we are in this unfolding story of a love between a man and a woman. <clears throat> the book started with the woman longing for the man to be with her, but she feels uncertain about her own worth and value and beauty because of bad things that have happened to her. And they're bad things that people can see. It's displayed in what's happened to her. It's displayed in her skin. So people are pointing at her and saying, because of that bad thing that's happened to you, you're not worthy, you're not attractive. And so she's wondering, she's longing for the king, this man to love her, but wondering if he will because of these things about her. So she goes on a search to find him. And when she finds him, she finds he is the very best of all the people. He is the strongest king, gentle shepherd. And he loves her strength, which is developed through these bad things that have happened to her. It doesn't put him off, it warms him to her. And then he says, and I will lend all of my riches to you to increase your beauty, because I delight in you so much. And so last week we saw her 
First of all, sitting at his table, enjoying his fellowship, and then looking into his eyes. And as he sings a song of love to her, she can echo love back to him. And so she says at the end of chapter one, we saw last week, if you've got the Bible, help or switched on your device. Uh, chapter one, verse 16, she starts talking about her bed being verdant, which is a strange word. Um, one of the things we do here at Christchurch is we use translation software to print uh, in other languages. Some of you have Farsi and some of you have French. Uh, verdant, the translator just gave up that word. It's just there in English. It means uh, life-giving. So she basically says, when we come together, when we're united, it brings life. And he says, verse 17 of chapter 1, our bed becomes a forest, a growing tree. Our union brings life. Now, this is actually a sort of of something that is, in fact, biological. When women and men are united in a particular way, often babies are made. And not that long ago, uh, definitely when Song of Songs was written, people had little control over that medically. And it was seen as a real blessing when that happened, both for the man and woman and for the community they were in. So she's saying this is a fruitful union when we get together. But I will say this, if you've had a baby or you've looked after children, I don't think you'd describe that experience the way he describes it. The beans on your heart are growing beautifully into trees as life is given to them. I'm sure you've got stories like this if you have kids. A friend was telling me recently she had two children and she was pregnant. One of her children had a tummy bug. One was potty training and she had morning sickness. And she said, I never thought I'd reached the point in my life where I was kneeling in the wee of one of my children, being sick on top of the vomit of one of my other children because of the child that I was carrying in my womb. It's not a romantic, life-giving thing, is it, when we uh, uh, produce babies? <laughs> the union of men and women is life-giving, but this, oh, it's all trees and the bed is verdant. It all seems a bit romanticised. And that's because our loving and life-giving stories are marred or broken by the fall, by the fact we are out of communion with God. This rose-tinted story, as it seems to us, is not just between any man and any woman. It is a picture of Jesus, the shepherd king, and his people. And what we're seeing in Song of Songs is that relationship, the way Jesus loves his people, that is echoed in our creation. It's not that we were created men and women and then God thought, oh, I've got a good idea, the men and women thing. That's a good picture of Jesus in the church. It's the other way around. We are formed to show this relationship. The way life is brought into the world is through a man and woman uniting, but the whole of humanity exists to tell the story of how Jesus longs to be united to his church, to bring life back to this broken world. Now, occasionally in this story, the best song of all the songs, there will be things to learn about marriage secondary to the picture that when Jesus and his people are united, 
everything is renewed and life is brought. So I hope whether you are married or not, or hope to be, or wish you weren't, this offer here to be united to Jesus in an even closer bond than marriage and your union with him, your union with him, will renew, will bring life to this broken creation. That's good news for you, whether you currently love or hate your own marriage situation. That's the true song of songs worth singing. Here's the first thing that we see today. We're bringing Eden back. Uh, not Eden, the person. Although, it'd be lovely to bring her back. There's a few people in church called Eden. We'd love you to come back, but we're talking about the Garden of Eden. There is some strange sort of Lord of the Rings type situation here, that when they are together, this man and this woman, life spreads out from them to dead things around them. Their bed is an oasis. The bits of their house turn back into trees. Their union brings life. Now, that's a picture of life being brought But gardens have a significance in the Bible. People started the story of the Bible in a perfect garden, teeming with life, in perfect relationship with God. And when they were thrown out of that garden and creation was cursed so that there was death instead of life, thorns instead of flowers. That's the world we live in. And that's the world we've all experienced. That things that should be life-giving and joy-giving, a gift to us. In fact, often those things bring pain and death and they're difficult. That may even be true of your experience of this whole area, romantic relationships. We can all see that those things are designed for joy our experience of them is thorns and pain and struggle and in the end always death but when Jesus and his people are united what happens around them is that the dead world begins to show signs of Eden again that's how it works in this poem she has doubts about her beauty And in fact, so do all the people around her. He has looked her in the face and told her she is beautiful and gives her freely everything from his resources to make her more beautiful still. So she is able to say in verse 1 of chapter 2, I am beautiful. It's not just I'm making the world more beautiful by doing something useful in it. I am a flower in this garden made by him and he echoes back to her verse 2 yes you are a lily among thorns you are beautiful there is reassurance and there is joy what's going on here is this there is a confidence that comes from knowing Jesus living in relationship with him knowing day to day our loveliness to him And also going back to him and being reminded of that. If we're living there, constantly knowing that he sees us as a flower, a beautiful thing, 
and going back to him and hearing him telling us that as we approach him, if that happens, what we will do is bring life of knowing God back to the world. And I love the back and forward. He says it, she repeats it, he says it again. That's how it is as a Christian. We're repeatedly going back and finding that Jesus delights in us and hearing again that he delights in us and expressing that ourselves, then that comes out from us to the rest of the world. I think of someone I know who is a missionary in a country that is very tough for the gospel. It's not a country that loads of people are becoming Christians in. She is there, she's been there for many years, bringing life by talking about Jesus and training other missionaries. So she's bringing life to God's world. But also, if you meet her, she's just warm and kind. And she brings joy to her friends. She's fun. She's encouraging. She loves life. And for her, that's a spiritual thing. It's not just a personality thing. She lives each day day in the confidence of being loved by Jesus and going back to him and hearing again that he loves her. Um, it's like the breath, smell, the scent of the Garden of Eden around her because of this relationship she lives in with God. She's enjoying with him and that brings his life to the world that, she, that he's made. Now I haven't probed, but what, uh, not, you know, a super close friend, but I would guess, given her life situation, that her human relationships have not worked out the way she wanted or planned. So how is she like that? She just knows that Jesus delights in her. She lives there, knowing she is beautiful to him, Reminded that what he sees is a lily among the thorns. I could have I used someone who's not in our church. I think there's loads of people in our church doing that all the time. People here who are confident in being loved by Jesus, bringing life to very dead places as they go out into the world. And that type of life-giving presence is something every Christian can bring to places where they are. Eden, the garden where people knew God perfectly, where they didn't compete and destroy each other, where they didn't complain, they enjoyed God and his creation. Eden is gone, but the breath of Eden, the feel of a life lived related to God and his world, we can all bring that to this dead and broken culture where we're united when we are united to Jesus and we just let him love us. Maybe this is a helpful way for you to think about living as a Christian. I don't know how you think about the call there is for you to live as a Christian today or tomorrow. We tend to think about that call as, I ought to do this. Yes, I ought to bring the life of Jesus to the world. We hear it as a sort of condemnation. Maybe even you're sitting there thinking, oh, I'm terrible at this bringing the life of knowing God to the world. Well, there'd be something not quite right about a marriage where people say simply, well, we ought to love each other better so we can serve others. I mean, it's good to be outward looking, but it'd be a bit sort of functional and boring that, wouldn't it? Like, yes, we ought to work harder at being a better family so we're a blessing to the world. It's more joyful than that. 
We enjoy this gift and we're enabled by that confidence and security to do good to others. So being a Christian is not just, I'm saved and I ought to go and do good works, which is true. But maybe it helps you to think about it this way. Think about the place where you need to be bringing the sense of Eden, life to death. Where is that place you're called to do that? What comfort, what security, what sense of the loveliness Jesus finds in me do I need to know to live out that life-giving life? How can I hear him except what he says about his delight in me that brings the scent, the smell of that delight to the place of mourning or tension or brokenness where I have to be. Do you see, it's not just doing good works. I ought to do good works out there. Not just spreading the gospel. It's a gentle breeze with the beautiful aroma of Eden. And around us, leaves will sprout from dead branches as we're empowered through living in this back and forward, knowing how Jesus sees you, going back and enjoying that. If we live there, we'll bring life. Bring him back through finding communion. Let me talk about two words, union and communion. Uh, at the Hub the other week, I was talking about crazy housemates I've had over the years of my uh, life. Um, and I was shocked to discover I had a housemate who used to bleach the teapot and it was great controversy in our house. I remember I came home and she was putting bleach in the teapot. I was like, why would you put bleach near the teapot? The joy of the teapot is that it builds up this tea-stained flavour over many years. But when we were discussing this at the Hub, I discovered there are in fact a whole category of people who bleach the teapot. Humanity can be split into people who bleach the teapot and people who not. Anyway, maybe you've once been in that sort of housemates setup where you all sign something to say you're going to live in the house and that means you all have to pay the rent even if someone moves out. Or you all have to pay your deposit back even if it's one person who rips their wallpaper. I studied law, it's called a joint tenancy. It's really, really interesting. Uh, that is a union in one of those house shares where you've all signed the same lease it means if one of you doesn't pay the rent you all have to cover it you may not like the people you may not want to live with them much but you are united to them their responsibilities have become yours and your money has to be used to cover their debt it's a union but within that union, you can choose whether or not to have communion with them or not. You're united as soon as the thing is signed, but you could, if you wanted, you know, totally ignore them. Say, I'm not eating my tea with you, you old teapot bleacher. <laughs> Don't come near me with your cleaning products. You could uh, wear headphones round the house all the time. Pretend they're not there. You're united, but you're not communing with them. But you can choose communion. You can eat together. You can talk. The communion can get deeper 
develop a strong and lasting friendship. Union is fixed when you're united with someone. Communion is a choice. The stability and peace, they come from the union, knowing it's there, knowing you're right with God. But the joy comes from communion, enjoying the union by connecting. Well, it's true, and you're a Christian. From the moment you trust Jesus, you ask God for forgiveness, you are safely united to him. That but now you can choose... Are you going to commune with Jesus? Look at the ways in the passage the woman enjoys or looks forward to enjoying communion with the man. She says, he is a tree that protects her, but also provides sweet fruit. As I've said, anything in Song of Songs can be read as an innuendo. Some more obvious than others. Some people have really read this verse in that way. I think probably not. She's just saying, among all the trees of the forest, he's an apple tree. He gives protection like a normal tree, but also he's nice to be around. His fruit's sweet to my taste. She loves being with him. The flower is describing the safety and provision of being under the tree. She wants him, in verse 4, to lead her to his banqueting table, to sit under a banner that says love. That's a lovely picture. The king is throwing a party, a banquet for her, and she wants to be led in with him. She wants to say, yeah, I'm with him. And then she wants to sit at the table under a sign or a banner above her head that says, hey, everybody, I love this one. She's mine. See her communion with him. She enjoys his care for her, rejoices in his delight in her. Then she says, strengthen me with raisins. I feel weak, I'm going to faint. The way this is translated, it makes it sound like sort of, she's sort of like a, a woman from a you know, Jane Austen novel. Uh, like, oh, I'm faint with love. Bring me some raisins. <laughs> it's a bit strange. It's not a great translation. What it's saying is raisins were thought of like an aphrodisiac. They were thought of like a food that strengthens love. So she's not saying, oh, I'm feeling faint because of love. Bring me reason so I can stop feeling that way. She's saying, don't let me run out of energy so I can keep communing with him. Give me what I need so I can keep communing with the king. And then the picture in her head, the fantasy really she has in verse 6, is of them closely embracing. She loves his protection. She loves his celebration of her. She loves to give herself fully to him. Now, for some of us, I think, this whole sort of putting spirituality beside sexuality feels a bit weird. But can I say, it is actually out there. Um, there's this Radio 2 programme I sometimes listen to before church on Sundays, and it's supposed to be a sort of spiritual programme. It's presented by a vicar. But all they play are sort of like love songs. You know, they don't play hymns. They play like ballads, largely from the 80s. So I don't mind that. <laughs> we have a sense, all of us, that we're reaching for something spiritual with the intensity of romantic love. And Song of Songs is just taking the next step, saying the closeness of consensual committed sex in a relationship that is united through marriage 
That is an echo of the fulfilling, protecting, joyful communion we can have with Jesus. Maybe you still think it feels a bit weird, but I guess the question is, how else are we to understand the deepness of that communion with Jesus without talking about the deepest possible communion we're able to have with another person? And the call is when you're united to Jesus by being a Christian, to enjoy giving yourself to him. Now that means, as an aside, there is some instruction here to Christian marriages, particularly to men, I think. Marriages will flourish when you strengthen your desire for one another. In a world we live in where women are at much more risk than men, men should aim to protect and provide and to honour and to celebrate their wives. All that is true. But much more than that is being said here through this poem, this picture. There is a call here to us to enjoy communing with Jesus. Well, maybe you think, I don't know where to start. I understand that you come to church and you hear the Bible and you try to do what it says. How do you start communing with Jesus? But the woman in the song gives us plenty of clues. Dwell on and think about and praise him for his protection and provision. Actually take some time to think about how has he saved you? How do you know him looking after you? Like sweet, refreshing apples. Like what is pleasant to you about Jesus? You know, put your phone on airplane mode. Find a quiet space and tell him. What do you love about knowing him? Or, if you don't like solitude, find someone else and tell them. Tell them how great Jesus is and what to you is safe and sweet about knowing him. Or another clue from the woman. Let him lead you to the place where he celebrates his love for you. That's why we sing. You may dance if you like, probably at home if you're into that type of thing, or just sit and dwell on how he loves you, how he welcomes you to the table, how Jesus, the Lord of all creation, the great shepherd king, is delighted to point to you and say, I love that one. His banner over you is love. Think of the reasons. She needs his strength to keep pursuing communion. What helps and strengthens you pursue Jesus? You know, if you're dulling your desire for Jesus with, you know, food or alcohol or social media, don't dull that desire that way. Does being alone help you desire Jesus? Do that. Does being with other Christians help you desire Jesus? Do that. Does arguing with people on the internet not help you desire Jesus? Don't do that. Do what it takes to strengthen your communion with Jesus. And think of that picture of that closest of embraces. Are there parts of your life where you're just not letting Jesus in? You're just holding him out. You're worried about what he'll want for you if you let him into that deepest, most hurt place. 
You know that if you let him into that deep hurt, he will want to teach you forgiveness. You know that if you do more than just do the Christian life by getting on with stuff, but you really let Jesus love you with that transforming, Eden-bringing love with all the things you hate about yourself in his view, that's too scary. We build a hard shell because we don't want to personally deal with Jesus. But this passage calls us to move, use the basis of our union to communion, commune with him. There's a practice in church that we call communion. We eat bread and wine, which Jesus says are his body and blood. And we call it communion because it is the way that we represent in our actions that we desire the deepest possible communion with Jesus. That bread, that wine represents him and his death for us and we eat it. We make it part of ourselves. Eating someone's flesh and blood, there's another awkward and icky way of describing being a Christian but it is our way of saying we want Jesus in our physical earthly reality we take communion together because together we are the bride of Jesus so we're communing with each other too so I want to invite you the way that we do this here is if that you are united to Jesus you have trusted him and you want to commune with him, you're welcome to the table. Sit at his banqueting table and enjoy that his banner of love, even if you're not from our church. At our church, we go up and get the bread and the wine. And as we go to a table, we remember that we are sitting at his table and he is waving a banner to the world saying, I love this one. As we approach the table, we are letting him lead us to the place where his love pours out on us. That's the invitation. Can I make a plea? Inevitably, when we're all moving about the room to get bread and wine, there's a bit of shuffling, a bit of noise. But please, can I encourage you to use that time to commune with Jesus yourself? Please don't check your messages. Just see if anyone's dropped you a WhatsApp during the service. I can't control what anyone does, but please don't have a chat with someone beside you. We don't get many times in life set aside just to tell Jesus how he makes us feel safe, or we find him good, or we enjoy being at his table, or to open up something to him that we've been keeping hidden. The invitation is to commune with Jesus. Then, while everyone, when everyone has got bread and wine, keep them with you, sit down, and we'll eat and drink together, because that's important too. Everyone here who trusts Jesus is his bride receiving the provision of his death for us. No matter what state you come in worried about yourself. And I will tell you that 
as we're loved by Jesus, as we commune with him, we're being enabled to bring the breath, the scent, the sense of Eden to whatever hard, lifeless, difficult place you have to go to.